0: To Scoopy Radio with Brandon Robinson.
2: Scoopy Radio. <laughs> we are live. What's going on, everybody? Brandon Scoopy Robinson, senior writer at Heavy.com. We're here with Heavy with Scoop on Heavy on Lakers platforms. I think we're on Heavy on Celtics platform as well as Heavy on Bulls platform. We have a special guest, Jay Williams of ESPN, joins us today. Jay, was good.
1: How you doing, Scoop? Long time no see, brother.
2: The last time I saw you was that Lakers Sixers game in Philly. We were shooting before the game. Yep. And um, the world has changed since that day. First of all, it's good to see you.
1: It's good to see you too, brother. I'm happy you're doing well, man. Great yes, so. times. How are you dealing with all this? You know, it's. Uh, I, I think I've kind of like twisted the energy around the 2020. Mm-hmm. It's it's like you know I, I give a lot of sports analogies obviously working at ESPN but Work. it's like being down in the game man you know I uh, I started to live my life this year with everything happening where I just refuse to let that energy consume me I'm just gonna combat it all the time and just fight it because I you know I don't know how much time I got left here man so and I know it's been crazy I know it's been a tornado of chaos but at the same time man um you know I'm, I'm here for a good time, not a long time.
2: Yes. Okay, Drake.
1: Yeah. You (laughs) know, a little
2: reference there. there. (laughs) Listen, man, um, as a kid, I used to hang out with my friends, uh, Fred and Julian, in Plainfield. And I went through my phone. You are from Plainfield, New Jersey. I went through my Uh phone and asked some of my friends in Plainfield and Piscataway uh, something. So before we get started, softball question. Uh Why did you choose St. Joe's over Plainfield High School?
1: So, you know, th- th- that, that's a that's a deep question, because I, I lived on 990 King and Avenue right down the street from the high school. Mm-hmm. My mom worked at the high school. My mom was a guidance counselor there for about you know, six or seven years before um, I got into that area. And one of the things that my dad did, I didn't go to the local schools in Plainfield. I went to a private Catholic school. In South Plainfield for you know kindergarten through eighth grade, mm-hmm. and I was getting recruited by Plainfield High School. But my mom, I guess being there during that time, you know, kids were going to the front doors through metal detectors. There were a lot of gangs around Plainfield, and every time I would go play at Cedarbrook Park, which is like the local park where we hoop, mm-hmm. you know, cats would get jumped and stuff like that. And I was always kind of like around it, and. My parents just didn't like that. You know, my dad's one of ten from Fort Lauderdale. He grew up in a difficult time. My mom's from Ohio. She grew up in a difficult area. And for them, they always wanted my focus to be on education. And I gotta be real with you, man. Like, you know, even goes back to my accident. It's very impressionable growing up. And you know, you're the sum of the five people you keep closest around you. And at that time in my life, I was hanging out with my friends on the corner. I'll never forget my mom like snatched me up the corner. I was like, "Yo, what are you doing? Like, you are going to be different." And I'm not going to allow it. So me going to St. Joe's just put me on a different trajectory. It got me outside of my comfort zone. So that was my parents' decision. But ultimately, man, it, it expanded my horizons. That's true. That's true.
2: It's a lot going on in the world right now. Uh, yeah. Jacob Blake is, has shut down the NBA as it relates to the players, uh, forging a boycott, if you will, uh, began with the Bucks and the Magic game, game five. And- and more, I'm curious from your perspective, what updates can you give us about the bubble?
1: Well, you know, we got a, We got a chance to talk to J.J. Reddick today on our show and, you know, having a show on ESPN six to ten every morning with Keyshawn Johnson is it's, it's been a monumental thing. Scoop. Congratulations,
2: been, by the way.
1: Thank you, brother. There's never You're been um, two African-American host of a radio show in the morning. For mm-hmm. sports in ESPN, mm-hmm. so obviously we're we're blazing a, a different a different path. But you know, bringing it back to JJ, he was saying that you know when you're when you're locked in the bubble, I can only imagine. Like first off, you know, we always we make light of mental health and things of that 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 case, Scoop, right? And you know, one of the things I was saying is that when I have a bad work day, when I come back home to the crib, when I see my daughter. Right. No matter what happened in my day, when I see my little kid, it snaps me out of whatever the hell happened in my day. And it puts me in that present moment with my daughter. And then my mind goes to this place that if I don't allow myself to be present with my daughter because I'm angry about what happened through the course of my day and mm-hmm. I'm doing her disservice. Right. Same thing with my wife. I'm doing her disservice in our relationship. So that's been monumental for me. So let's let's say you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, when you're in this bubble, you're, yeah, people say, well, it's like, hey, you basketball, you're fixated on playing. But the mental health aspect of this is, is, is dangerous because now you don't have the people that have been around you your whole life to help you recalibrate. Sure. They're not there anymore. You're by yourself with your own thoughts. And guess what your own thoughts revolve around, too? If you're not, if you're not an OG and you're not present with it, this, mm-hmm. right? So going on your phone, what are people saying on IG? What are people saying on all these shows? I don't care what anybody says. The more you consume that, if you don't have things to combat that, that sits in your subconscious. So I think for all of these guys and these women, WNBA included, uh, MLS, NHL, it's challenging, man, especially while you're dealing in the face of a pandemic, you're away from your family. And then add the social justice aspect of it, considering that people are quick to hit the NBA with the cancel culture. Mm-hmm. But I, I say this, Scoop, you know, and uh, I was talking to my cousin about last night. Um, and we were just saying that, you know, the stereotype around athletes is that they are very self-absorbed. They're in their own world. And that, you know, if it's not about them or them building their businesses, they don't really understand because it's not relatable because they're they're essentially in their own bubble. And how ironic is it that now these athletes are in a bubble and they are so much different because they're actually standing up for the millions of people right. who are voiceless. How amazing is that? It's um it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life.
2: It's the epitome of bored in the house and in the house bored, but at the same time being enlightened.
1: Exactly. And, and what happened yesterday, brother, like real talk, you know, I really, I, sports is leading our country better than politicians are leading our country. And that's a beautiful thing about what we're seeing. You know, the Bucks were about to forfeit a game. They didn't even know that this was going to lead to a movement. And it led to Orlando boycotting with them. It led to OKC and Houston boycotting with them, to mm-hmm. all the games then being boycotted the next day, to watching the Mets and the Marlins last night, mm-hmm. you know, not playing their game, to, you know, watching NFL teams, the Detroit Lions not practice, the Baltimore Ravens coming out with a statement, a strong statement, condoning, asking for the arrest of the police officers related to Breonna Taylor, you know, speaking up about Jacob Blake, actually outlining parameters about what specific asks were that they wanted legislatively. We actually acted as a team, man. All, all sports, all people. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback for the Titans, came out and made a statement with the team. Like, and we need our fellow brothers and sisters to stand with us about what we are experiencing. I know in particular about what I've experienced as a Black man, too. And I know we all have our own stories, man. Tell me something.
2: Uh, what are some of the, I guess, actionable things Um, that you think the players should push for? Uh, Really blacks as a whole, but not just blacks, whites, because Kyle Korver is the minority in that instance. You know, J.J. was the minority before, you know, the Pelicans went home. What are some of the actionable things
1: that you think the players should be asking for? Well, Kyle Korver dealt with this with his old teammate, Sabo Cephalosha, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Being arrested in Milwaukee and being, you know, for a parking violation and having his face smashed against the ground. So, you know, I go to this. I go to uh, the elimination of qualified immunity, Right, that all these unions have, um, you know, police officers being able to protect themselves, actually making it a federal hate crime if you shoot an unarmed a person—a federal hate crime, like really providing accountability for your actions—and you know, get into these conversations because you know, I, I feel like my life was—I was afforded the opportunity to be here, Scoop, because I feel like almost passing away. It's my job to build bridges between people. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that I have a lot of friends that are really good people. Sure. And I, I, I try to say this, you know, there is a history due to Jim Crow laws and other things as it relates to, you know, police brutality. And I just feel like African Americans, black people, we're tired. We're tired of being tired of telling the same story. And you want your fellow brothers and sisters to be empathetic to understand. And then things become so quickly politicized. We're not talking about politics, man. We're talking about human decency, mm-hmm. human decency. And the fact that it's been able to be spent on this access to politics um, really disgusts me sometimes. And I know everybody goes through it, but the rate that Black people go through it is a little bit different than other people. Um, and, and fighting that fight is something that we all need to find to resolve and be rejuvenated and continue to stay energized in our approach. I was
2: on a call with uh, the Reverend DeForest Bustasori's over at First Baptist um, today in um, Somerset and he one of the things we talked about was um, the argument I think it gets lost in translation for for certain people who may not look like us or for people that just see so much that or, or consume so much content and I, one of the things I proposed to him was, or at least said, was you have to put things in bite-sized pieces, not in chunks. Mm-hmm. Because I think when that happens, you see a bunch of rich guys, and then people may call them brats. Or they ask, how does someone get shot seven times affect them all the way in the bubble? Um, I guess my question is for you, because you're on both of the sides of the media as well as um, a former player. Um, how do you explain it to people who are not as engrossed in it, or who don't have the same life experience as you?
1: So you know, I, I, I try to challenge people because you know I, I think one of the benefits in in you're in you know Perth Amboy and growing up in Plainfield in the tri-state, like my friends, they're like Baskin Robbins, mm-hmm. school, right? Latino friends, Jewish friends, Asian friends, like Africans who all my friends, all different subsets of cultures. But when we had conversations about these type of things with my group of friends, we've had in-depth conversations. And I feel like when I try to address people who maybe don't get it, I I automatically ask, well, how diverse is your friends? How diverse are your friends? Because unless you have people that you care about, that you're having these types of conversations where you can say, Jay, you know, as a, as a black male, I've never been pulled over by the police before, but, or, you know, I get hit with this one. Well, how come he didn't comply? And then I say, well, there've been two times in my life that I have complied and I've gotten taken out of my car and handcuffed because I was asking too many questions. Hmm. Now, you know me, you know how I roll, right? I'm like, oh, okay, officer. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, Why did I get pulled over Well, you were speeding? Well, I thought I was going 60 miles an hour and I saw the speed sign that says 65 miles an hour, why clocked you at 75? Well, okay. Would you like my license and registration? Well, you're asking a lot of questions. Am I not allowed to ask questions, sir? Mm-hmm. So it's like a simple question, but you see if I think, <laughs> and it's, it's a double-edged sword here because I felt that at the time, Scoop, he was escalating the situation and almost I took the, the police's position that I took the job of de-escalating the situation for him. Right. right. But my whole life, my dad has taught me how to have conversations with people back and forth. Whereas a lot of my other friends, their parents have been talking to him about when get pulled over cops, like it feels like it's way more tense. And I'm not saying, look, we're not wrong, okay? It should be the cop's job to de-escalate the situation. But if you're programmed in your mind subconsciously, like a lot of black kids are, right? You feel intense. How do you know how you react in those moments? Sure. And now you put all that, all that pressure on how the cop needs to handle the situation. And we know people don't think, right? right. So you know, my thing is trying to explain that to people, like the pressure that you feel being pulled over or me being in a nice car, being pulled over for a suspicious vehicle, that's overwhelming, man. It's mm-hmm. overwhelming. And I've seen, I was in North Carolina when I was down there at school. Sorry for being long winded, Scoop, but no problem. I was sitting in the passenger seat with one of my friends and he was Caucasian. OK, and we got pulled over mm-hmm. and literally got pulled over the side of the road on the I-95. And my homie got out of the whip, got out of the car and walked back to the police car. Now, you can only imagine Scoop. I was like, what the hell? What? Whoa? What? What? My hands are up here. Right. stay in there. So we don't have the luxury of doing things like that, man. We don't, and um, sometimes it just takes conversations with people to help them understand what the differences are. You, uh, first of all, I want to take a reset. I think it's pretty cool. We so both got I'm bald heads, right and we both rocking glasses. Did you get the memo? No, I did not get the memo, but I that's <laughs> yes the way you rolled before, so I try to imitate, you know? There you go. There you go.
2: I'm curious to know, from your perspective, um, the N-word is a word that you do not use. You're against that word. Mm. Was that always the case? Where did that come from?
1: Well, it, it's something that my, you know, my, my dad, my dad's one in Fort Lauderdale and my grandfather played in the Negro Leagues and my my grandmother was always about doing things educationally. Neither, neither of them went to college, but all my dad's brothers and sisters graduated from college
2: mm-hmm.
1: and my dad would talk to me about, he used to say the word when he was younger, but He didn't want to subconsciously give permission to his friends.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He didn't want to do that. And it was just the way I was raised, Scoop. You know, for me, and I, you know, people take that conversation and say, well, the word nigas means king. I think it means in in a different language. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. But the history with how that word is presented in our country, I never subconsciously want to give permission to somebody else to call me a derogatory term. I don't. So I, I think as a matter of discipline in my life, I've just completely canceled that word from my vocabulary. I don't use it. No, that's real. Brian Erlacher, former
2: Chicago Bear, Bear legend, you Chicago Bull legend. Um, he said some things the other day about the bubble. Did you hear them? And I guess my question is, if you had a teammate uh, that was of a, a different race, would you go to ba- Would you go to battle for them? So, two-part question: Erlacher, your reaction, and a teammate—if they had a, a purpose that
1: they were going against or going for, would you support them? So, I, I've known Brian for a while. I've hung out with him. He always seemed like a cool, a cool guy to me. The comments the other day took me back a little bit. Uh, but instead of reacting and being angry and going to social media and just responding, I reached out to him personally. Because I want him to come on our show and discuss it. I, I think um, what I what I'm learning in my life is instead of being angry, I, I pursue the conversation to make it constructive. Mm-hmm. See if you have the depth of intellect to see if you can empathize with me about how your comment made me feel, and if I were to say the same to, him, say to him, you, how that would make you feel. He did not respond to me. I think the lack of response is going to be the challenge for teammates because my thing is if you're my teammate i'm going to confront you head on now if you lack the the intellect to have a conversation with me about it then i start the question well why would you say it in the first place if you can't back up your thought like why are you saying it if you can't back up and tell me your why and explain it to me Mm -hmm. then we're gonna have a major problem um but i try to confront it head on i you would think that sports is the one place where it forces you to be in the trenches with your brothers and sisters, where you're able to to find those connective tissues between one another. But like I said before, our country is getting so politicized that I think for a guy like Brian right now, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to give him the Heisman and um, say, if that's how you think, if you don't want to come to the table for a constructive conversation, then you can stay in that lane and that's how you think. The Bulls. Uh,
2: what is your opinion on how they were run when you played versus the regime that's currently running the Bulls now?
1: I was at a, I was in a difficult time with the Bulls. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf is a, is a really good owner. Jerry Krause, who you know, rest in peace, passed away, and I had a really good relationship. I think coming off the, the Bulls scenario with MJ and them winning champs, championships, it was, it was like we were always chasing a ghost in those hallways, man. We really were. And when you play for a franchise that's considered to be one of the greatest franchises of all time, it, it's hard to live up to that standard of excellence. So I think we were going through changes. We had a coach in Bill Cartwright that was a good coach, but I, I think I would have probably excelled a little bit more under Scott Skiles that came after I got hurt. I think right now uh, Arturos, who is the GM, I think they are properly positioned knowing his, knowing his background from Seton Hall, I, I hope that they find the right coach that allows Zach Levine and their team to actually play. I wanna see Zach Levine and Kobe White actually play together, start mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanna see Laurie Markkinen actually take the next step in his career. It's gonna be interesting what happens with Wendell Carter if uh, this is still a game for traditional big men, but I still think he can help you in spurts. But there's no doubt about it, man. We need to do it through the draft, and we need to do it to bringing the right people in from a front office perspective. Because we, Anthony Davis is coming up, people. He is coming up, and if the Lakers don't do it this year, hello Chicago. That's where he's from. We got to start pitching to people who want to come back home and rep home. Rep. You know- I was with AD the day he said that. It was at a Nike function, uh, and people kind of laughed it off. Do you think that's realistic? People laughed off LeBron going back to Cleveland, didn't they? They did. All I'm saying is, I think we live in a new age scoop where people want to co- look at what's happening in our country right now. Look what's happening. Like the Baltimore Ravens coming out with a statement. Like, what are you doing for your local community? It means something, Scoop. It means something. That's, that's legitimate change. And that's what we're talking about right now. Who is your district attorney? Who is your lieutenant governor? Like, who is like your mayor? Who's, who's creating legislation in your towns? It starts on a local level, local, state, federal but if you don't do things like that in Chicago, you know one of, the, one of the things I've been hearing people say all the time, especially the opposite, I'm not going to say opposite side, people that try to use counter arguments against Black Lives Matter say, well, you guys are killing yourselves. You know, look at Chicago. And you're like, damn, I, I can break down Jim Crow law, uh, Jim Crow and other aspects of this as it relates to education and gentrification that preach to that. But <laughs> For us, like we have to, we have to do things in our local community to affect change. And I would not put it past Anthony Davis because he, he is a brother that gives back. He wants to be involved. I would not put it past him at all. Coming back okay. home. Would
2: you have um, taken the job as the GM of the Chicago Bulls if it was became if it became available to you?
1: I don't know if being a general manager is in my future. I, if, if I were to go into a front office position, I would model a career after Masayu mm. Jury. Know, I would be the president of a team. I, I thoroughly enjoy the business aspects of sports. Uh, I spent a lot of time around owners. I was just with Mark Lazary, the owner of the Bulls, uh, owner of the Bucks, excuse mm. me. Um, and I, I think that is more fulfilling to me in working with the GM to assess talent and handle the business aspects of a franchise, especially with the with the continuation of the globalization of the game of basketball. Tell me something, Kyrie Irving is a Duke guy. You're a Duke guy. Yeah. Did he get it right? Kai has always been extremely smart, extremely smart. And what I, What I try to talk about when I'm on air is people have talents in different aspects. So incredibly talented basketball player, incredibly talented, smart individual. I don't think the message always translates from here to here the right way sometimes. I think that sometimes gets lost. And I think one of the things that makes it difficult for Kai is we have a hard time of letting go of your past history, right? We, we take, well, he wasn't a leader in Boston, and look what happened in Boston, or look what happened in Cleveland with him and LeBron and all these different things. And one of the things that I get frustrated about the way the public perceives Kyrie is we don't allow him the opportunity to grow. I think Kyrie Irving has grown tremendously over the last couple of years of his life, and it's not easy. I, I do ultimately think that Kyrie was correct. Unfortunately, I think sometimes about how you communicate those thoughts in the position that CP3 was in, that lack of communication, mm-hmm. I, I think those are sometimes the things that hurt, ultimately, the perception of Kyrie. Jason Tatum is a dupe guy. What do you think of his season this year? That boy different, man. <laughs> Scoop. Word. How long has he been in the league now? I think this is year three for him. And was going toe-to-toe with LeBron in year one. I'm going to bring you back four years ago. I can't believe I'm saying four years ago for him when he was a freshman in college. He was coming in at Duke. And I, I got a home in North Carolina. I'm down there watching guys who Jabari Parker was doing his thing in the league around that time, mm-hmm. okay, with Milwaukee. And Jabari was playing. And I watched JT give him the business for an hour straight, Scoop, an yeah. hour straight. And I'm not talking about like college moves. I'm talking about the same moves he's doing right now. He was doing as a 17-year-old. And I remember walking away like, yo, this dude is special. He's different. And the way he was playing before the pandemic, the way he's playing right now, he's going to be in the MVP conversation in years to come. There's no doubt about it. He, he may be one of the best players we will ever have that has donned a Duke uniform. And that's saying something. His game reminds me, it's not as athletic, but the, the skill set reminds me of Grant Hill.
0: Hmm. And if
1: Grant Hill never got hurt, imagine what Grant Hill would have been.
2: What do you think about Kimba? Do you like him in, in Boston? Do you think he's a better fit?
1: I do. I, You know, the one thing about Kimba that Kai Kai doesn't do as well. Kai Kai has the ball in his hands a lot, Mm -hmm. right? Like the amount of time per possession that Kai has the the ball in his hand is a little bit different than Kemba. is willing to give more hockey assist. Mm -hmm. He kicks the ball ahead forward. And I I think that ability to kick the ball ahead and get other people involved quicker instead of you making a play to make a play for somebody else, letting people kind of own that, I think that seeps into the culture of the Celtics, right? letting Jay Tatum go do his thing, instead of creating a shot for Jason Tatum. Let him create a shot for you and other people as well. I, I, Kim has always been that way though. And, and Kim, man, Kim got, Kim got these, man. Like, he's gonna take that game-winning shot. He has that moxie. Okay, so here's, here's what I wanna know. Now, I bet you gotta get deep on me right now though, because you just no. took a big breath. So.
2: Coaching is the topic of the week. It's been a topic of the last couple of weeks. Either or if you had the chance to pick the next coach of the Brooklyn Nets, is it Jason Kidd or Greg
1: Popovich? Greg Popovich, not a question. Why? KD and Kyrie seven eleven. It has the potential to be one of the most dynamic duos we've ever seen in the game. And the fact that they're playing in Brooklyn, just forget about it as it relates to the culture of the sport. They need somebody who warrants their ultimate respect. Jason Kidd is great at X's and O's. I do wonder about, because look, this could be a ride with Katie and Kyrie, okay? We got two guys that, depend upon a day, Like you have to be agile. You have to be able to pivot with them because everybody goes in their different mood swings, okay? I think Pop, his ability to connect to players because of the championships he's won, because of how he won them, and ultimately because of how he communicates to his players, I think at the end of the day, both Kyrie and KD would – Give him the ultimate respect because he's done it at the highest level with the best players in the world, and I think he could provide the right structure for them to do it. I think Jason Kidd potentially could too, but one of the things I've heard about Jay Kidd is I wonder how, you know, if, if you don't get it for Jay Kidd, it, how will he relate? But I don't know. Maybe Jay Kidd has evolved too from his time with LeBron. And but that's I, I, what, and, and that's kind of what Phil Handy
2: said to me on my podcast Scoopy Radio. He said that Jason mm-hmm. wants to get it right. He kind of. Got into a situation where he became a coach fast right out of retirement, and then went through two teams. So it's like, okay, you're growing on the fly, in the same way Derek Fisher had to. The same Monty Williams comparatively earned his keep, was underpop, was was had different spots before he became. He got his first head coaching gig. I think Jason Kidd um, had the ability to grow being an assistant coach.
1: I, I I'll say this too, though. Um, you know, I've been around a lot of brilliant basketball minds. Mm-hmm. He, he's one of the most special ones I've seen. Word. Like, like I, and I don't know if you asked this with Phil, but you know, I know him and Bron have conversations on this wavelength up here about sets, about time situation, about clock management, about possessions and touches and feels and angles of attack and positions on the court that are you know more of a higher efficiency of scoring than others. You don't have a lot of people that can communicate like that. So maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe that could be Jason Kidd. If you're the Chicago
2: Bulls or the Philadelphia 76ers, do you hire Kenny Atkinson or Mark Jackson?
1: I think if, um, if I'm Chicago, I go with Kenny due to Kenny is one hell of a player developmental coach. He really is. He, um, was he the guy that's going to win you championships here in Brooklyn? Maybe but I'm not sure. But getting you from where the bulls are to where the bulls need to be. I think he could do that with them. He's a player's coach too, which I think would be different for Zach Levine and Kobe considering the way Jim Boylan ran things was more like a college coach. I, I do think that Ellen Brand came out with a statement that they were going to give it another run with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I think Mark Jackson would be better suited for that because Mark would, Mark would push Joel Embiid. Look, Joel Embiid has to take the next step. We always talk about the accountability for guys like Brett Brown, but we need to get some accountability for Joel and Ben. They're one of the most talented duos there is in the game, but it gets to a certain point where we need to see what you do every day in practice, that translates to the floor. And I think Ben tries to bring it, even though I don't think Brett Brown held his feet to the fire and shooting his shot. But at least Ben plays hard every single night. Joel Embiid, one of the most talented big men we may have ever seen in the game. But I think the roller coaster ride of maturity for him is a, is a major question. And in order to take that next step as a player, you have to mentally be strong each and every day and be there, be present. I'm not sure that's the case right now with him. Do you see Mark Jackson coaching next season? I do. I do. I with Chicago, with Brooklyn, with New Orleans, who knows what's going to happen with Houston. Um I, I think there are a lot of vacancies right now, and I, I think Mark is Mark is a is a big time candidate. I so think Tyloo really will really go good. first and then there'll be a trickle down effect.
2: And that was just gonna be my next statement and question. Well, what I'm hearing, uh the Pelicans is Tyloo's job to turn down. Do you think he fits with New Orleans or do you think he needs to be with a win
1: now franchise? I, I think Tyloo can fit wherever he wants to be, to be frank with you. I think it's just pick of the litter. I, I think ultimately for Ty Lue, what do you want? You come into Brooklyn, different expectations. And if you go to New Orleans,
2: sure.
1: to Chicago, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, drastically different expectations. So, you know, and, and don't get this twisted, man. A lot of people say, Oh, well, it's easy. It's an easy decision. I know coaches <clears throat> that have been like, yo, I'm trying to get as many years as possible. Mm-hmm. Let me get this money. So if I go to an organization where I know we're rebuilding, I like think about, real talk, man. Scoop, think about how long has Brett Brown been in Philly? Eight years, dad, Going eight, eight years. You know how, much, how many stacks he's collected? A lot. Right? So, I mean, look, expectations were extremely low. We're rebuilding. Just reset the culture. Depends on what you're looking for, what, what, what period of your life you're in.
2: Would you have voted to end the season if you were still in the NBA? <laughs> <laughs> Was it something I said? You know, it,
1: it depends. It really yeah. does. It really does. I I, first and foremost, I don't think they were ready to do that. I think that happened on accident. Mm -hmm. The way I see it is that the Bucks forfeited their game because they wanted to do what was right for the state that they repped. Mm -hmm. I think by doing that and by not communicating that to the rest of the teams in the bubble, forced Orlando to then react and boycott, which didn't happen with the rest of the teams. But I think ultimately when it got to that meeting and you heard rumors of LeBron saying, I got my money, I'm good, we don't need to play. I think that was because LeBron James was frustrated that it wasn't properly communicated to everybody, especially considering the way he's partnered with different arenas with more to vote, more than a vote. It wasn't properly communicated about what happened there. So I think everybody was trying to react instead of being proactive. Do you think- I'm sorry. Gentlemen first. I don't think there's been a league that has done as much for the cause as the NBA has done. So for me, initially, I don't think I would have gone directly to boycotting. I think I would have, lose, I would have used the illusion of boycott to push owners to do more and to hire lobbyists. But this goes back to your original question, man. I would have came to the table, but I'm also different. I would have came to the table with a list of demands Mm. of we need these things in place. We need to see traction on these things before we start playing again. Yeah.
2: Do you think that an eventual strike is needed for the players to get the owner cooperation uh, with social justice
1: initiatives? I think the push for the right legislation, I, I, I... like the direction that the league is already trending in i've talked to multiple owners they're willing to do what it takes but if you don't get results depending upon how you measure success then extreme situations call for extreme measures man will the owners listen to michael jordan i think if there's one you know i went through a list today of what (laughs) Some individual owners, what their worth is in the league, and you start looking at Joseph Said 9.9 billion billion, you look at uh, Steve Ballmer, you know 51.4 billion. The thing that's always been uh, riveting about MJ is that you can have all the money in the world. doesn't mean that you have access. Mm-hmm. And Michael Jordan as the only black owner, has the ears. Of all the players, and if there's one person that can build that bridge, that regardless of whether people have 10 times the amount of money that he has, that the players will listen to, it's Michael Jordan.
2: Yeah, was the first time that you met Michael Jordan? Uh, was it when you were a bull? When do you, you being a Duke guy, being a North Carolina guy aside, when do you, when is your recollection of meeting Michael, and what was that, if I may ask, what that conversation was like?
1: You know, most people think. That like i always hate on michael jordan and i don't i idolize michael jordan i'm just as competitive as michael jordan i mean i won six championships with them i want to be the best version of myself too i met him going into my sophomore year of high school of uh, college i worked the michael jordan flight camp out in santa barbara mm-hmm. and uh that was a year like for me in my career i kind of skyrocketed mm-hmm. i remember we played we were playing one-on-one i was just trying to go at his throat i was like i didn't care who he, he was talking to me calling me duke boy Call me all these different things, and I was—you call me whatever you want. I'm gonna try to rip rip your damn head off. And um, you know, him and I, obviously going to the Bulls was a monumental thing for me. And I remember I I caught so much slack, man, because I took his locker. Uh, Ah. Well, his locker was empty. Yeah. Two years, and everybody's like, "Oh, that's MJ's locker," and I was like, "Give it to me. I'll take it." Shit, last time somebody sat in this locker, we were winning games. Like I'm trying to have that rub off on me. And I mean, I got destroyed in the media for it, destroyed. And him and I had talked and he's like, man, take that locker, be yourself, be different, keep leading. Right. So for me, he's always been that person. He's always been that inspiration. Tell me something. Was the pressure
2: harder for you to come in? I guess this is a three layered question. Was the pressure harder for you coming in? To Chicago after Michael, Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler coming in after Michael Jordan or
1: Derrick Rose coming in after you? Well, I mean, I don't know if pressure would be hard. I mean, D-Rose got to such a high level so quickly. I think that was a lot of weight for somebody. I ultimately think Derrick Rose. You know why? Because Derrick Rose is from shy. That's like me getting drafted by the Nets and being the savior for my own home state. I mm-hmm. own Home City. That's a lot of weight, man, while you're trying to balance all the other aspects of it. For me personally, it was. <laughs> look, man, I, my record in college was 95 and 13. I lost 13 games in three years. I was not used to losing. So for me, I, I, I didn't deal well with the rate that we were losing at. And I divulged a lot to the media that now being in the media game for 14 years, I would have taken a different strategy. You feel mm-hmm. me on that? Yeah. Like I would have kept a lot more things personal to myself because you, you, you can't be as transparent with people when you're in that position of leadership. You can't.
2: When you talk about uh, not losing a lot, I, I, I did not play football, but I went to Don Bosco prep for high school. So I know mm-hmm. all about you Get guys it? when they went to college and they were losing and when they went to the NBA and they were losing. Perfect segue. Um, you, Carl Anthony Towns has, has spoke volumes or spoke reverently about you. I remember him going into his draft process and him going to St. Joe's just like you. Um, he thinks the world of you. Um, and I think, I guess my question for you is like, what do you think of the Minnesota uh, Timberwolves as far as their future? Um, And do do you see Carl part of it? And what do you think they're going to do with the draft?
1: I think a lot depends upon ownership. I know I've been hearing rumors that, you know, their team is going to be up for sale, potentially. I think Carl Anthony Towns is a franchise player. He's one of the most special individuals I've ever seen. I love him. I'll always be um, objective when it comes to his game. I think for Carl being with D'Angelo Russell, I like that, I like that duo. The fact that they got number one pick in the draft, um, I, I felt very happy for them. I, it really depends upon who they start surrounding Carl with. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a big question, man. You could love a city, you can love it more than anything. But if you don't have somebody in the front office that surrounds you with talent to win, mm-hmm. after a while, you're gonna start looking at it like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Do I, do I believe in management to help me get to where I want to go. And if that is not the case, the franchise always does what's best for the franchise. I do not look down upon players that decide to do what's best for the player. Mm-hmm. If Carl gets in that town, if Carl, Carl gets in that situation, he's gonna have to make that decision and I'll stand behind him regardless. Do they trade for Devin Booker? I don't see why you don't.
2: I like that answer. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. they listen, they told you in that slam interview that that's what they were gonna do.
1: They did. I don't, if you have number one pick, whatever, whatever assets you want, with the exception of maybe d and Cat, here. Here. And I gotta be real with you, I love d too, but you gotta have d in it. I don't know. Yeah. All right, for D-Book? D-Book is different. And I would love to see d D'Lo, d D-Book and Cat together. Um, but I'm willing to let go of the house and future picks to get Devin Booker. Yikes. Wait, do you agree? Don't say yikes. No, I I
2: do. I just think that, I mean, I've known that, that the, 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 the D'Angelo, the D'Angelo Russell thing was supposed to happen last summer.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, it ended up happening at the trade deadline. The conversation that many people have though is okay. How is Devin Booker going to come to to Minnesota? Is Phoenix gonna trade him? Or is he gonna walk in free agency? And so, you know, you hear people on Twitter saying things, you hear analysts saying different things, or and or are scared to talk about it. So that's why you talk about Phil Handy and, and, and LeBron, you know, speaking the same language. I feel like you and I are speaking that same vibration in the sense of I feel like people don't want to acknowledge it because they are just sold on Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns being the future.
1: I don't know if that's the case. In Phoenix. Yeah,
2: and, I, and I'm agreeing with you. That's why I said, yikes, because you'll speak on it. Most won't.
1: And D-Book, you know, we, we got a chance to do the boardroom with him this past summer. Yo, he's one of the most down to earth people there are out there, man. Mm-hmm. And it gets to a certain point. I, look, is, is the trajectory that Phoenix is on? Is it better than what it's been? Yes. Um, but also, Scoop, I'll say this. If they don't get to the bubble, like you don't see them do that. Like the bubble may the bubble may have saved Phoenix and Devin Booker. It, it may see be- value too. Yes, it
2: did. Do you look at him as, do you see him as a people like to use that Kobe Bryant comparison? Do you see it though?
1: I see a little bit of I, I see a little bit of that and a little bit of the Ray Allen combined. Mm. Right? We're
2: talking uh, Minnesota, oh, excuse me, Milwaukee Ray Allen, or are we talking about Boston and
1: and, and, and Miami, Ray Allen, though? I'm talking the book doesn't have the the same Ray Allen athleticism back in Milwaukee right, but like the I'm talking about the the dagger shooting Ray Allen, right but with that that Kobe pinch post two guard operating like one of the things that's I give him I give him a lot of credit on man, like his handle is underrated bro Facts. His handle has gone like this Facts. that's. Not like, I worked out with him at the Elite Twenty Four game when he was in high school. He was not like that, dog. He was not like that at Kentucky, but his game every year, dog. And that, that trajectory is scary for where he can be. So, I, so, yeah. so Seattle Ray. Ah, yeah, I guess a little bit more like Seattle Ray, but not the Saint. Like Ray was also crazy athletic, though. Remember? Mm-hmm. I don't know if D Book has that type of athleticism in him.
2: No, that's real. You um. When I look at radio and I look at athletes who have transitioned into radio and TV, I think of Michael Strahan, I look at Tiki Barber, and I look at you. Um, you guys have had the personality that transcended um, sports into the, I guess, the D, D, D producer and talent suite. If you don't have that motorcycle accident, are you a TV and radio personality after your career?
1: No. Um the path that I was on, I would have a lot of money, but I think I would have been miserable. Mm. I, I didn't have any I didn't have any foundation in my life, Scoop. I had um I had no accountability. I did whatever I want when I did it. And I don't think I was living my life mis maliciously.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it was it was fast paced. It was like, you know, I was living so fast, I never spent any time thinking about anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know just to tie it back in you know it, it's so interesting to me dealing with the bubble and all these issues around social justice because the amount of pressure that is on these athletes is heavy man especially when guys haven't had to spend a lot of their life thinking about real shit you know what i mean scoop brother I haven't had this
2: much time, I'm, I didn't play, but I haven't had this much time to be in my own thoughts since I was a senior in high school.
1: Because it's always about moving on to the next, right? And the, yes. about it. Like if you, if you have money and you can fly in planes, you can buy whatever you want, you can purchase homes, you can work out and your life is so, as an athlete, you're taught in order to be successful, you have to be so myopic at something. And it's a very one directional relationship Mm-hmm. It's what you need all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But make sure that my pregame ritual is this way. Like, that's why I, re- I respect the hell out of Kobe Bryant. You know how hard it is to, to alter what your mentality has been like for like 30 plus years and all of a sudden to then go, it's not about me, it's about my kids, yeah. it's about my wife. It's um, That's hard to do when your whole life has been about you and your needs. And for me, when I got hurt trying to come back, it was about me. But then when I couldn't do that, I was like, oh, I'm not that special, man. Right? Like, that was humbling. I'm not that special. Damn. I got to <laughs> work right- you know, I, My first job I was making $35,000 a year. It just brought me back down. It was like Icarus, crashed from the sun, bam. And it just recalibrated everything in my life. I didn't have an accountant. I had to pay my own bills. I'm like, shit, I got to pay bills. Like, I'm like, what's this? Um, what's an expense sheet? What, what the hell is that? Like, I got to itemize what I spent out. I only get paid. I get twenty dollars a day for food. What? Twenty dollars, right? So it just it changed the course of my life, man. And that's that's not that's not easy to do. Jay, I, you're comfortable right now, and, and and
2: as I'm listening to you talk, you were you were you know proper. I'm on TV, Jay. Now you're like, uh, does Wayne Brady have to choke a beef? Comfortable, <laughs> Jay, right now. You, you I'm, I'm seeing the real comfortable you, and I think. One of the reasons why we're here today, we're talking so much different sports and social justice is financial. The financial part of, of, of what you do, uh, particularly as it relates to advising people on how to spend their money. I heard people talk about how when Little when Little Bow Wow went from being a rapper to being the host of 106 and Park and doing movies, it was a transition. Mm. How big of a transition is that from being an NBA player who's making millions to being a TV and radio host who's still doing well, but there's there's a difference in that tax bracket.
1: Yo, well, you know, when I first came into TV Scoop, I was only making $35,000 a year for my first three and a half, four years. I'll never forget (laughs) this. I was doing a game in Oxford, Mississippi, which is, uh, you know, as a guy from the Northeast, I'm like, where am I going again? Mm -hmm. Mississippi. And I went down there and I, I took myself out the at a nice place, a nice restaurant. And I got the bill and the bill was like, you know, $200. I was like, all right, you know, I got it, I'm good. And I remember after I got that bill, I tried to expense it and I got a reimbursement check for $23. Twenty <laughs> three like, My meal was $200, $23. And they're like, well, your allotment for what you get to eat every day is $23. I was like, well, hold, hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait a second, $23, right? So. I, I think for me in my life, it was a drastic change, and that that changes your mindset. But I think ultimately, man, it was the best thing to ever happen to me because I was able to create habits where I had to be on top of my own finances. And that's one of the problems that you have as an athlete: you move so fast, you make so much money mm-hmm. that you don't spend time paying attention to your damn money because you're moving so fast. Right? Even though you may have Say you allocate six hours a day to the court, and I think athletes are different now, but you start doing things, you're playing video games, you're traveling with friends, your burn rate is a lot higher because you're able to buy things that, oh, I I can get that, I can purchase this. Like you're not really on a budget. So for me, from that moment in my life, of being 22 years old, 23 years old, I was like, I gotta put myself on a budget, like a $23 a day budget, which I'm like, all right, like let me go get that free buffet at the restaurant, right? <laughs> let me go get that. Let me be there early. Right. Let me. Let me I, I started doing things where I just started like hustling and being nimble. Where I, all of a sudden I was like, "Yo, I just I spent six thousand today on food. That's that's what's up. You know, like I'm about to get it. I'm about to get a check for some money. That's surplus right now. I'm winning. Mm-hmm. But I, having that mentality and then making that, men, that mentality applicable to other aspects of your life, you start recognizing that. Hey, the more I, the more I do this, the more money I save, but also I got to start utilizing other, other parts of my brain to start generating revenue. And also because of my visibility, I can start getting things for free. Amen,
2: brother? (laughs) If it's free, it's for me, as they say. For me, all day. The thing that I see some of my friends that are in the industry do is some of their sneakers, some of their games, they put them joints on eBay or they put those joints on Facebook marketplace. Might as well make money off of it.
1: Hey, look, man, I got a lot, I got a lot of rookie cards. Mm-hmm. That's another one, right? It's like um it's like the stock exchange with rookie cards. I mean, rookie cards are going for a lot of money now. Yeah, so rookie cards that I've held on to forever, I kept them in great condition. You know, putting them on the market for you know 20x of what I got, and then just negotiating with people. So look, I, I think there's so many tidbits, man, financially, that sometimes I don't think people understand and the way I try to equate it to people is like, you know, if you're making 400 bucks a week in your job,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're like, I don't understand how you can spend all that money as an athlete. People, it's easy because it's applicable to what your, what your spend is. You're making 400 bucks a week and you buy a pair of Jordans for $350. Like you use your whole week's salary on that. Now you might say, well, I'm gonna make another 400 bucks next week, but still think about if you were to just save $20 a month, and start building in a budget for saving for a pair of shoes, how much money you will have in the bank, it, it might take you a couple of months to get there, you know, several months, nine months. But then all of a sudden, like, that's, that's the reward I want. I want my risk tolerance to be low in everything I do.
2: I'm going to do the either or once again. If you had your druthers, would you rather own an, a franchise or be a financial advisor for one of the top three
1: NBA players in the league currently? At the multiple some of these franchises are being sold for right now, I' rather, rather own a franchise. i rather get in on a franchise right now that's valued around you know 900 million a billion dollars, which is a lower level within the league. I think Steve Ballmer has set the market for when he bought the Clippers for around two and a half billion dollars. Um, I think you're going to continue to see individual franchises and their prices continue to skyrocket. So I think if I can get the bottom floor of that, I would do that.
2: Jay, you've done the boardroom with KD and Rich Kleiman, um, and people often talk about KD um, and his burners and just his quirky social media personality. Is he really as complicated as people? I say no. What say you as it relates to how complicated he actually is? Is he complicated?
1: Yeah, he's complicated, but I'm complicated, Scoop. You're complicated. And I'll say this to you, brother, like this is it's so funny for me because people love to when you meet somebody, Scoop, right? Say you're meeting me for the first time. This is how a typical introduction would go. Hey, Scoop, nice to meet you. I'm Jason. You would say. Hey, I'm Brandon. Nice to meet you. What do you think the next logical question is that you ask me if we're forced to be around each other? Um, Where are you from? What do
2: you like to eat? What clothes do you like? Do you you asked me what I like? clothes I like when we first met. If we first no, meet, You asked me what kind of clothes I like. Actually, know what that's bullshit. Let me take that back. So,
1: <laughs> no, I you. If you ask me what kind of clothes I like, hold on. Now we just because met. I would right? see
2: it. I would see what you're wearing. So right. I, I guess 2K or Madden or 2K Alive or or, or if, if, if you
1: didn't if you didn't know me if you didn't know me or you didn't know what I did. Probably where you from? Okay. That, that's it. I think you're an anomaly. I think the, nat, the next natural question that people would ask are, hey, what do you do? I agree. I, right? I, because people ask you what you do to, to calculate how much respect they're going to give you. Boom. Right. So I, I I say that to you because if everybody knows what you do and everybody knows how much money you make, wouldn't that alter that moment when you meet people? Wouldn't that make you a little bit more apprehensive or anxious when you're meeting people about what, what do you want something? Do you really want to be my friend for me? J when
2: people ask me what I, I don't, I don't even say NBA writer anymore. I say I'm a college professor because when I finished grad school, I adjuncted at a bunch of different colleges for a while and that
1: lowers the conversation. So like I tell people with Katie and you're exactly right, man, like imagine from the time you were in high school, you're six eight, six nine, and people are saying that you're the next gift from God that you're going to be an NBA player. Think about that. Think about the effects of your family and how that affects your family, and then ultimately how that affects you. The relationship relationship he has with his mom and his brothers, and um, the people that you have coming in and out of your life, and also, you know, one of the things that's challenging for athletes is that. You know, I I talked to a lot of my other friends whose parents have a lot of money and they've been raised around a lot of money. Mm -hmm. You look at things differently. You look at your relationships and you say, who's the most who's the most competent? Right. Or, hey, my dad has met with multiple financial advisors. I've learned about financial advisors. I feel comfortable asking those types of questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, here are the three people I want to interview. And you're not bringing any personal emotion into it. You're making a decision based upon who is the most competent, who will make you the most money at what return you want. What's a reasonable, Word. decent return for you? Word. You go through every business transaction in your life about, am I surrounding myself with the best, right? That's somebody growing up around money who has that experience. Mm-hmm. An athlete who doesn't grow up around money, who mm-hmm. yearns to have money his whole life. I'm making decisions based upon who I trust, who I trust. And a lot of times, who do I? Who do you trust? People that have been around you the longest. It doesn't mean that they have the best interests in, like, your best interest. because you know a lot of these stories work. And I'm not saying this is applicable to Kevin, but you know, family members have their hands in the cookie jar. They're making side deals with agents. You're finding out about these things that erodes the trust with them. Then you're you're angry. You're going to somebody else that maybe giving you a little bit money here or there. You build a relationship with them, but they may not have your best interests in hand. So it becomes hard to. And plus, you're not equipped with the skill set, the tool set to know who's the best, because your whole life you're not allowed to talk to them. Mm-hmm. a violation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so who's supposed to help you assess that information? <clears throat> it's challenging, man. And then don't let somebody take some money from you. Then you're forever scorned. Yeah, right? You don't <laughs> trust nobody, but yet you're yeah. making millions and millions of dollars. So it makes it hard to live a normal life. So of course, if life is complex for you and I, you don't think life is going to be exponentially complex for Kevin Durant? Word. That's just real talk, man. And he does a good job navigating. He. Actually, you spend time around him. He's actually more normal than people give him credit for, but people don't get a chance to spend a lot of time with him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A few more questions. Go ahead. Next season, is it going to be an adjustment
2: for KD and Kyrie in Brooklyn?
1: Of course. Uh, whenever you go into a new team um, and you, a new player, it's going to be an adjustment. Also, who coaches them, that's going to play into the factor of how it's going to be an adjustment for them. I will say this about those two. They are thick. They are tight. Like they are really tight. And if you were to ask me as a guessing man, it's gonna be Kyrie and KD against the world. Mm. I think Kevin's gonna have his back. I think Kyrie's gonna have Kevin's back. It's gonna be like the bad boys in Brooklyn, man.
2: I had that conversation with Isaiah recently. I asked him, when you look at him, when you look at specifically Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie, do you see a Dumars and Isaiah situation, assuming you know there's no transactions that take place? He said, I can see it. He said, you just can't compare Vinny Johnson to KD. No disrespect to Vinny Johnson.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's disrespect to Vinny Johnson. <laughs> Vinny Johnson, Johnson and Kevin Durant.
2: Do you see a comparison between the Detroit Pistons, Bad Boys, and the
1: Brooklyn Nets? I do, because I think... This team in the market that they're going to be in, in the backyard of Brooklyn, the press is going to try their damnness to break that team apart. Every little thing. Every little thing. If it was Kyrie having a smirk, if it was Kevin Durant waving the coach off, yeah. if it Spencer Dinwiddie being mad about playing time, how does that affect Kara Severt, who his stock has skyrocketed when he was in the bubble? The bubble. The bubble <laughs> right? Skyrocketed. So now you have four guys on the verge of being all-stars mm-hmm. that, of course, in Brooklyn, and the Knicks aren't good. You don't think people are going to try to rip the Nets apart? So I really do believe that regardless of whatever happens, they're going to be thick as blood. They're going to stay together. And if the ship goes down, they're all going to go down together. Does Lonzo Ball go to the Knicks? Lamelo Ball or Lonzo Ball? Take your pick. I don't know if I see him. I don't know if I see him staying in New Orleans. I,
2: and we're talking about Lonzo.
1: We're talking about Lonzo right now. Okay. Yeah, because LaMelo hasn't gotten drafted yet. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think LaMelo ends up being with eighth pick in the draft. I think LaMelo will go a lot earlier, maybe going you know, four, uh, maybe going to Charlotte because Charlotte needs that star power to a degree. I, I don't – if Lonzo ends up in New York, I actually might like that. I think Lonzo Ball could be a, a really good NBA player. But I think we need to reset expectations for Lonzo. It, it, it's okay. You don't have to average a LeBron James triple-double. Just average a triple-double. Still going to get you paid a lot of money. You can still be part of a, a, a winning organization. You can still be part of a championship team. I ultimately do like the attributes he brings to the table. I just think that we need to stop talking about Lonzo like he's going to be Devin Booker.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We need to reset expectations for him and that's okay.
2: Yeah, that's real. Last question. You talked about your mom. You talked about your dad. You talked about the playing field upbringing. Easy question as we exit. Best piece of advice that you received as a kid that's carried over into your MBA career that still walks with you today?
1: Wow, best piece of advice has carried over into my MBA career that carries with me today. Um, this is, I'm not doing this off the words of a Drake song. Just like. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, <laughs> later. Make- you know, I still consider being a kid when I was 20, 21, mm-hmm. just let you know. My dad uh, said something to me that I thought was pretty monumental. So, said, you know, son, you have to spend time with yourself to know yourself. Mm. And I think for me, going through that experience of almost passing away, have put me on a path where I know myself, but I'm also malleable because I recognize that if I'm not evolving, then I'm doing a disservice to my second chance of being here on this planet. So everything I try to approach in my life, Scoop, I try to approach it from a very authentic space. And I try to approach it being very transparent about what I've learned. And I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I went through being depressed, man. I went through thinking that I, I threw everything away mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. but I've also, I also fight every single day. And I set this on air to be a better version of myself. I got wasn't a great boyfriend to my wife. I became a better person because of my wife and that's forced me to be a better man. I enforced to be a better man because of my daughter, because of my job and responsibility. You know, the last two weeks going to work every single day and having the platform I have and talking for four hours, not reading off the teleprompter. Stressful, man. I'm not just, I'm just not talking for me. I'm talking for, for my brothers and my sisters about how I feel about something that is at an imperative juncture of our country. And how I connect the dots and how I build bridges to bring us together to help other people empathize with what we're going through is important. I don't show up to work every single day for a paycheck. I'm doing this because I love it i it's, it's who I am. It's my purpose, man. And I think the more that people spend time with themselves to try to understand what their purpose is, I think the better, better place we'll have as a society, but we gotta, we gotta slow down a little bit. Cause man, the, the 2020 has been a tornado of chaos, brother. It really has. And yeah. like, you know, can you tell me what happened last Tuesday? No nah, cuz it's too cuz Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday are all bunched up together. So we got to slow down man to really start thinking and stop being reactive and start being proactive with how we live our lives. I think it's really important. That's real.
2: We ended there. Mr. Williams, I have to thank you um, for your time an hour and change.
1: Come on, I, scoop man. I, I know you're comfortable cuz you took your glasses off. I did. You got you got the real me. I mean, everybody always gets to reel me, but I'm at home. I'm relaxed right now. And but you know, I, I commend you, man, to like from that moment we met. like You, you got a, a great energy about you and your ability to ask questions, man. You can bring that out of people. Keep doing what you're doing, bro. You, Thank you talent group. Seriously.
2: Thank you.
1: And if I can help you in any way, let me know.
2: You know, I'm going to let you know for, for those who are paying attention, you know, I started actually with the Nets at 12 I Had a radio show as a kid. This was during the Jason, well, excuse me, during the Jason Williams, your namesake, but with a Y. Um, Sam Cassell era and uh, Albert King was my co-host. So being around, you know, players like Brevin Knight and and some of the other guys like, you know, Sam and just a lot of people, man. You know, when you talk about your passion and um, what you do, it doesn't feel like work. This was a candid conversation.
1: I'm with you, man. We need more of that because I think the more people are transparent. Look, man, I mean, one of the main reasons I wrote a book, uh, first and foremost, it was for me because it was cathartic for me. But secondly, I recognize that everybody had some kind of motorcycle accident in some way. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't going through anything that other people haven't gone through as it relates to depression and other things. We all mm-hmm. experience it to some it's degree. To be radio. And make connections, man, make bridges.
2: That's it. All right. You guys, mm-hmm. thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We out.
1: This is Scoop B Radio saying, You bring the coffee,
0: and I'll bring the Duncan. Come on.